Hello and welcome to Coexisting. It's 2020, and due to the coronavirus making its way across the world, we find our towns and cities in lockdown in an effort to slow the pandemic. Quite apart from the COVID headlines filling our screens, I was curious to hear how people were living day to day. So, I asked the same eight questions to people in different countries to get a glimpse of their lives during their version of Shelter at Home. The questions I ask cover life right now as that person is living it. What day of shelter are you on? What are the rules in place? What is it like in the streets where you live? What practical advice has helped you at this time? What is your most memorable moment? And what would you say to someone who is feeling low today? It's part information, part human story archive, but mainly trying to get an uplifting bent on this insane situation we find ourselves in. And at the same time, preserving these memories in audio. Memories that will, in a very few short months, be forgotten. So, plug in those headphones or that speaker, grab a cup of tea or a glass of the good stuff and take a seat. This is Coexisting. Hi, I'm Brian from Los Angeles. I am a husband to my incredible partner. I'm a father to our uh, one-and-a-half-year-old toddler. I am a community engagement director at a nonprofit that pairs families who have exited homelessness with a case manager and a team of volunteer mentors. And I am a runner, a vegetable and California native flower gardener, and an extrovert. Friday, May 8th is day 46 of shelter at home for me and my family. My day-to-day was pretty straightforward before COVID. We were up at about 6 or 6.30 when my wife leaves for her job at uh, on a high school site. I would take care of myself and my toddler until 8 o'clock when our nanny would arrive. I'd get home and eat, you know, around 5.30 or 6, and then the kiddo goes to bed around 7.30. These days, every waking hour is split between caring for our toddler and doing our jobs, which are both in the nonprofit and education sectors. So it's three jobs between two people. We plan out our week on a whiteboard every Sunday night down to the hour, like generals planning an invasion of a foreign country. We mark all of our unmovable or regularly occurring meetings and then the movable meetings and then fill in the blanks. It's 10 hours, and so we each get about five and a half hours a day with the nap included. It also means multiple times a day transitioning from conference calls to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star to program management affecting vulnerable populations to meals and diaper changes. And knowing that if a meeting is going long, you know, and my wife has one in the next time block, she's already on her call and trying to care for our son while I wrap up the next one and try to show up on time. It also means if an unexpected meeting is scheduled, you know, we have to gauge whose work is basically more important and who could try to reschedule and how much effort or social or political capital would that cost, and just broadly how to deal with the unexpected. So yeah, three jobs into 10 hours and we go to bed basically emotionally and physically drained every day and it's exhausting. Los Angeles is sheltering at home still today. Uh, the 8th, on May 8th, there were some uh, restrictions that were lifted, like florists and car dealerships. But, and technically, nonprofits are considered essential services, so we could go in. But where I sit every day is our guest room, which we've converted into an office, thanks to a desk that we kept for those rare work-at-home days. 
And on the last day of work, I brought my computer monitor and my keyboard home and uh, have since created a standing desk by elevating everything on top of empty diaper boxes. It is the parenting way. (laughs) It's an east-facing room in the front of the house, so it gets a lot of sunlight in the morning, although it's starting to get warm by about noon. And out the front window, I see my garden, which is nearing Superbloom status. Lots of orange poppies, delicate pink and red clarkias, inflorescences of purple Mexican sage, and these puffy globe gilias, uh, and then tall little polka dots of white and blue bachelor buttons that are starting to open up. And I just had my clarkia aminas open up, which is called Farewell to Spring. There's these big round pink and white and red flowers and truly farewell to spring the heat is is coming and if i open my window i get this melange of sages that kind of gently floats in white sage cleveland sage aroma sage hummingbird sage you've probably noticed the birds just seem more active during covid and we have these big canary island date palms across the street and parrots make their homes in there i learned recently that a group of parents is called a pandemonium of parrots And that is such a fitting group name because their squawking provides endless fun for my toddler. And at this very moment, the most prominent sound that I can hear is my partner singing the wheels on the bus in Spanish for the third time on the other side of the door that separates us. This time has reminded me of a metaphor from sports psychology that I come back to time and time again. Uh, I'm a social worker by training, but psychology is what I studied. And it's the concept of the coxswain in rowing. So they're dead weight in the boat. They're the person that sits up front and tells the rowers to stroke, stroke, stroke. And so without their voice, really their only impact is to make the boat heavier and slow it down. But rowers require loud and constant and clear direction. That's literally the only way that they can stay in sync and be able to row the shortest distance to get to the finish line. And because of those needs, the weight and aerodynamic disadvantages of an additional body in the boat are offset by those balances of a coordinating and unifying presence. And I feel like during this time, we are learning how to work together virtually. And so that coordination is even more important than it already was, especially in the nonprofit sector where we have like lives in the balance. It's one of the first things that I talked to my team about and that I committed to them that right now we need to over-communicate. We need to provide that extra context or intent up front, especially if we're emailing because that back and forth emailing is going to drive us to the edge. You know, Ultimately, it's about greeting and seeing each other as humans first and genuinely taking care of each other because we're all struggling in different ways. I know people on my team are not sleeping as well as they were you know they're dealing with their health issues they have teenagers at home which is a whole different set of concerns than i have as a toddler but really also not letting productivity be the sole measure of value and even if this humanity cuts five or ten or fifteen minutes into a meeting taking the time to truly see each other is the most fundamental way that we can shine our light through what might be a lot of darkness My toddler loves being outside. He has been an outside baby since he was born. And so I'm really lucky that he is constantly pointing at the door and saying, afuera, he wants to go for walks around the block. His favorite destinations these days are the chickens a few blocks west of us, or the low brick wall half a block east that we have turned into a balance beam, or Ginger Snap, the golden retriever at the southwest corner of our intersection, or the strawberries in my garden which recently got eaten by a uh, stray cat that visits us. But soon there will be cherry tomatoes and he'll be happy again.
I can't say that I stay off my phone or email or Teams the entire time. I don't. But getting out of the house for 30 or 40 minutes has been a really great way to break up the day and get some vitamin D and remember that there is so much more to this experience than Zoom calls and exhaustion. And if I'm lucky, we might even see a neighbor and get some human interaction, which for an extrovert like me is like an oasis in the desert. My advice for anyone going through something tough is if you're going through something, say something. You've got family and you friends who are there for you. They care about you. They want to help. And you have just got to believe that even though our friends are out of sight, they're right there next to us if we need them. And if that's scary, and it could be, I think that's something to lean into. I was reading something recently about reconnecting with old friends or family who we might have fallen out of touch with. And it's actually really natural to be scared to reach out to them because we might feel guilty for neglecting that relationship. And real friends forgive. As a social worker, I'm personally just a really big fan of naming emotions, even if they're difficult, as a way to sort of share your intentions. And recently, I texted my buddy. I said, hey, Jesse, you know, I know it's been forever, and I know the last time I texted you, it wasn't even to say hi, it was to borrow your truck. That's been weighing on me for a long time and didn't represent how I value our friendship. Um, I miss you. I miss our friendship. He was cool with it. He said, hey, it's all good. Yeah, let's, let's catch up. From my perspective, like that was, for me, radical transparency and love. The other day, I was singing This Little Light of Mine with my toddler, and I just kind of started crying out of nowhere. And it was because it's that light. we got to remember, we have that light inside. And even during our darkest times, like that's the fire in us, and we can't let it be snuffed out. Thank you for listening to Coexisting. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear the story unfold, I would be grateful if you could share this with a friend and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. That way that many more people will find us.